You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the United States Army Band taps. I have, uh, at times, gone on, I'm sure, ad nauseum about patriotism or my own experience uh, and ideas about the United States of America and what the flag uh, stands for. I, I did a show last year on the 4th of July about it. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Memorial Day because, uh, like most of the country, uh, I think we tend to forget what it actually means and we sort of just add our own, I don't know, understanding to it. And what what I think the, the core here of understanding is that it's not a day to celebrate those who've served. And we have to re- we have to understand this because once you do that, once you start tacking on additional meanings to it, you water down what the day is actually supposed to mean and the impact. Memorial Day was uh, and this is disputed uh, founded post-Civil War when uh, women would lay flowers at the graves of the fallen soldiers. And so immediately we attribute, depending on whose side of that Civil War you were on, if any of your ancestors were on a side, that it didn't matter what, whether the fighting was justified or not. It was the sacrifice that those soldiers were willing to to make for their side, uh, regardless of politics, regardless of religion, regardless of race. It was something that 
collectively as Americans, and later other countries would do for their own uh, fallen soldiers, we would be able to put aside any differences and acknowledge that above all else, human existence, uh, life, has value, and that willingly losing your life for your cause had value. As a Satanist, I think that's a flawed notion. I didn't necessarily mean to take this turn here, but I have to follow my mind. And and I'm I'm sort of caught here. Uh, I'm I'm caught between how I was raised, how I feel having experienced the military, and the heritage uh, of of my family in serving. Um, knowing those who have fallen. And I rarely would find a soldier who was willing to die. Um, Point in fact, I've never met one. What I meant meant were, were soldiers who were willing to fight until the end. That's satanic. They weren't martyring themselves. They weren't strapping a bomb to their chest uh, for future glories um, so that they could punish the enemy. They were taking a stand in something that they believed in, and in this case their country and their command. And they were doing their job regardless of their own personal beliefs in the matter whether they thought it was justified or not. And they were doing their job to the best of their ability until they couldn't do it anymore. And I don't think that that is martyrdom. So as a Satanist, I have to stand up and show a little bit of respect for those who are willing to fight and die until they died because it was something that I wasn't willing to do and I would venture that those listening weren't willing to do it either because you're listening and you're not fucking dead so it's tough because on one hand there is a heritage of sacrifice but it was not a sacrifice in the martyr aspect um And so I can gladly play taps and bow my head in remembrance of those who have fought so that I can sit here and blather on about my own perspective so that there is a Satanism organization and and, and religion. Because uh, let me tell you something. If Anton LaVey was living in, uh, let's just say, the Middle East in general, and he started spouting out about Satanism there, how long do you think he would have made it? How many, let's say, hours do 
do you think he would have made it? I mean, let's be honest. The only reason Satanism could even have stretched its bat wings across the world as it has, in retrospect, that was kind of a stupid way of saying it. <laughs> the only reason why we can cast the shadow that we do is because it was done in America, where even though we had moments of serious doubt that Satanism would be able to go on, and though there was an entire era, Satanic panic, wrapped around this idea of shutting us down and misinforming the world about what we were, what we stood for, we were still able to go about it. And I was able to be open and honest about who and what I was while I served in the military. If it wasn't those very American ideals that it was beaten into the world like a blacksmith's hammer, pounding that anvil of reality into the rest of the, the, the sheep that we have to share this planet with. If it wasn't for that American ideal, there's no way it would survive, or it would have even started. Now, now it doesn't matter. We, the ball is rolling. It will always be here. We, it will always be a part of what it means to be a human being. But I would, uh, I would, I would climb out on a limb saying that if, uh, if it wasn't for America, it would not have started at all. Because it's a very American ideal. You're looking at, at other, other uh, very myth-oriented origins from a multitude of places, uh, regions of the world, eras in time, and bringing them all together uh, in, in this one brilliant symphony of, of Satanism. It's that idea that, that it doesn't have to have been born of Satanism to be Satanic. And that's what Satanism itself is. Uh, and, and it's grand and it's beautiful and I absolutely adore it. Um, and so for me, Memorial Day isn't just honoring the fallen soldiers of our nation's war. It is honoring the sacrifice and the uh, promise that their deaths meant so that we could exist openly if we choose. But that the philosophy would be able to have fertile soil to grow in. Uh, I know a lot of people don't like to attach any appreciation for nation or patriotism and I think nowadays more than ever when we're in such a global society what what it means to appreciate being an American or or even identifying yourself as an American rather than as just a person um, it's not very popular anymore I was raised by vets surrounded by them so it was always thrust into me that idea after having served, and to this day, I can't watch a flag go up without, in my mind, misting over, and at times, my eyes misting over. Teaching my children about what the flag means. Um, 
and talking to them about sacrifices made so that we could really enjoy what it is we enjoy. And as dim a light as it may seem at times, the freedoms that we really do enjoy are so much brighter than anywhere else. Um, so thank you for, <laughs> if you do, observe, observing. And thank you for listening to this uh, rant about it. Um, I think it's important. I think it's important to take a minute and just appreciate it. And maybe try to imagine, what if there was no America? And uh, would there be a Satanism? It's a good fucking question. Actually, um, I was going to end this, but let me close it with this. This is a a poem by um, uh, Moena Michael, I think, from uh, 1915. We cherish two the poppy red that grows on fields where valor led it seems to signal to the skies the blood of heroes never dies all right otherwise this week um the manchild camp out 2012 so this is a camp out that i do in the early spring with uh, just friends who have children and we, we take our kids up uh to the uintas and just sort of spend some quality one-on-one time with the kids and, uh, you know, have a little company uh, for fun. And, you know, the more people that come, the better it actually ends up being. A mix of ideas and stuff. I I truly believe that there's nothing greater than sitting around a fire, uh, an open fire in the middle of the wilderness and just talking and staring at the stars. There's nothing greater to bond a parent and their child. Um, you know, results may vary, but for me, that's, that's it right there. So this year we went up, um, (laughs) just this last weekend and I looked at the forecast ahead of time and it said a 50% chance of rain. And as the old army saying goes, I, I say army because they used to say it when I was in the army, but I'm sure it's any military or paramilitary training. Um, if it ain't raining, you ain't training. So I don't care if it's going to rain. I pack a poncho and I go up and my son will suck it up because if I'm going to be out there and doing it for him, he's going to be out there and uh, complaining the whole time what it actually ends up being. Uh, but I'd like to think he has fun. <laughs> He'll look back on it fondly, but sometimes in the middle of it, he's pretty damn miserable to be quite honest. Uh, so, so we head out um, and uh, the to get there, it's it's about a little over an hour drive, uh, and it, immediately it's uh, just really crappy weather. I mean, it's not actually downpouring. I mean, it was sort of sprinkling a little bit. As soon as we got to the parking lot, we met up with another gentleman whose son had bailed on him, but he still thought he should come, which was in the long run, and, and I'll get to it in a second, a really really good thing that he did end up still coming. So we get to the 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 parking lot you have to sort of drive up uh to the trailhead and we take our packs out because we're hiking in to this camping spot i don't really like just setting up at some public campground i like to really get into the back country so we're putting our packs together uh you know last minute tie downs and such uh having a (laughs) 
pre-hike brew <laughs> sort of, you know, the adults. And the kids are just sort of playing off in the trees and stuff. And there's actually still snow up there. I mean, we were high enough that there was a significant amount of snow on the ground already. And that's when it started hailing. And all things being equal, the two gentlemen that I was with, and uh, one of which son bailed on them and the other's daughter was with us, did not really want to hike in. They were doing it because I was insistent. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm very sort of a dominating person. You know, I tell people what I want, and if you're going to agree to go with me, well, then this is what you should expect. And they were really like, well, you know, the weather's kind of shitty. We don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, how accurate are forecasts anyway? And, you know, the, there's not a lot of people at this campground at the base of the trailhead. And, you know, we could just stay here. I was like, you know what? It's really two miles to the lake that we're walking. Let's just go. And so I scouted out the trailhead initially. And, yes, there were snowbanks on the side of the trail and sometimes overtaking the trail. It really wasn't that bad. Uh, and... and you know, I'm, I'm saying this, and you may be listening and like, well, you know, if there's any snow, that's not really a good idea. But last year, we literally had four feet of snow, and we hiked in a mile over snow um, to get to the camp spot. So it's not like it's unheard of. Certainly not for our, us and our, our kids. So uh, we finally start, and it is uh, a downpour of hail, which is kind of fun. It's kind of exciting, you know. I mean, it's not that cold. You know, you sort of prepare for that as far as clothing is concerned, but uh, it, it's more just uh, a little annoying. Um, it, it's just pretty, pretty much just annoying. So we start walking up the trailhead, and we get about 30 minutes in, and it starts to really, the trail, become completely overrun with snow. But because I am obstinate, and because the other gentleman either respected that this is what we plan to do, or were just willing to follow me into hell, um, <laughs> we continued. And the kids were having a horrible time of it. Um, they were fighting through these snow banks. Uh, us, you know, obviously the parents were carrying the bulk of the weight on their packs, so we were sinking in every second or third step up to our knees. I mean, it, the snow really got thick and deep. And then it started blizzarding. And we knew we were at the base of a, a few switchbacks that we knew once we got to the top of the switchbacks, that was the summit of the hike. And it was all sort of downhill, basically, from that point. And we were at the base of those switchbacks when the blizzard really started hitting us hard. And so I knew where we were. They knew where we were. We'd, we've done this, this camp before. Uh, but with that, the weather took us by surprise. Like, we were expecting a 60, 50 or 60 percent chance of rain. We never thought about snowing, and certainly not blizzard-like conditions. I mean, it got to the point where, you know, we could see 10 feet in front of us, and that was it. And that's disconcerting Disconcerting when you think of the fact that you're in the backcountry. This is not suburbia. There is no one to help you. If you get snowed in, it will be days, days, before someone can even get to you. Uh, if you're lucky enough, them to know where you are. So we were a little concerned, to say the least. We continued hiking up the switchbacks, and we got to the summit, and we were very excited. Everyone was thrilled. But the children at that point, though they wore appropriate boots and stuff, the the depth of the snow had already gone into their pants, and it's really just soaking wet feet and 
the blizzard was continuing in full force. Uh, however, I wanted to keep going because I am an asshole, I guess you could say. <laughs> I, I don't take into account others' feelings. I figure if they're going to come with me, if they're going to agree to do something, well, then we're going to follow it through. Damned the discomfort. Because I know once we get to the lake, I know we can find and set up a fire in any condition, or we can just sit in the singular tent and our own body heat will keep us warm as we laugh and fight through whatever weather is presented to us. But then the trail started disappearing. And <laughs> fear, primal fear, started setting in. Now, I, I joke about... Uh, being eaten by bears, though children have been pulled out of their tents in the past up in the Uintas where we go uh, by bears and, and actually eaten and killed. So it's not unheard of. There are bear sightings regularly because this is the Uinta Mountains and there are bears that live there. So I joke about it, that being a primal fear, but really it's the erratic weather of the mountains that strikes terror into me. Um, and so... If it was just me, I probably wouldn't have given it a second thought. I know what I'm capable of. I know, you know, I know I can survive a number of days without any eating anything. So it would have been horrible, yes. But I don't want to put my son through that. You know, I mean, this is supposed to be a, an overnight hike-in camp of fun. And, uh, but because again, I am Austin, I didn't care. I just kept going. So it took a lot of intestinal fortitude, I'm sure. But uh, calmer minds spoke out, and they said, Look, we are losing sight of the trail. We are, yes, we are very close to our camping spot, but if this blizzard keeps going, how are we going to get back down? Because, honestly, in, the, in any mountain setting, one turn looks like another. And it's very, very easy, if you don't have a trail, to get lost. And if that trail is covered by a foot and a half of fresh snow, and you can't see your tracks anymore screwed. So the children at that point were in full tears, seriously crying, wet clothing, wet socks. We were carrying their packs. It, it just got to be such a pain where we were sort of caught where, okay, well, do we start a fire so they can dry off? Do we set up camp and fight through the blizzard? Or do we try to fight all the way back down? Because we'd already been hiking for almost an hour through this crappy weather and crappy conditions to go back. Um, long story short, too late, I know, we ended up going back. It was a very, very long and arduous, trying on the children, trying on the adults, trek to get back. The children were amazing. They fought through it, and they they got back down. And this year, the man-child camp out didn't happen. It got to be where we came back into the valley. Uh, I had them over the house. We started up a fire in my barbecue, an open wood fire. And we just roasted um, hot dogs and marshmallows over that wood fire in my backyard. Um, the adults drinking <laughs> heavily. The children drying off and then getting their bellies full. And, and that, I, I would like to think, made it worthwhile. And I was m nearly maniacally laughing the whole way down in that uh, it's situations like that. It's experiences like that that really build character. It's those situations where you're, you're in the middle of a mountain, uh, 
covered, surrounded by snow. It's an active blizzard all around you. And you have to make those choices. Okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to try to survive here, or are we going to try to survive and find our way back with a disappearing trail? I'd like to think that that helps define who you are. Um, Yes, there was imminent danger. We could have absolutely gotten lost. We could have absolutely starved, and we could have absolutely been attacked by the native wildlife, but that wasn't our concern. It was the state of our children's health and um, the survivability of our children that are the most important. And, you know, those are the stories that they're going to remember when they're growing up. And that's what I think makes situations like these uh, meaningful and powerful. Anyway, uh, that was that was my Memorial Day week or Memorial Weekend. Uh, fighting through a blizzard that I never expected at all and ending up um, very happy uh, about it. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> All right, how about we talk about the show here now that I'm halfway through it? Uh, in The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to talk about occultism for the millions. This is an article in The Devil's Notebook. In The Infernal Informant, Miami cop kills naked man eating another man. And, uh, <laughs> crazy, right? Female soldiers sue U.S. challenging restrictions on combat. And the creature feature, I'm going to briefly touch on a show that I've been enjoying for a number of seasons, The Ricky Gervais Show. If you haven't checked it out yet, you certainly should. So, let's start with The Devil's Advocate right now. You say why? I say why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? Don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul. And it becomes clear. Like it did for me. The first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. (laughs) I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. All right, this is Occultism for the Millions, um, found in The Devil's Notebook by Anton Zander LeVay, and here's the opening paragraph. I've always harbored a natural repugnance towards fads. When the most rewarding and exhilarating interest becomes a fad, its evocative qualities enjoyed by the few are diminished by mass acceptance. This must not be confused with being jaded. To be jaded does not imply that many others are doing the same thing, but that one no longer finds stimulation in it. Often one can become jaded with something only to later return to it after passage of time creates the reawakening known as nostalgia. And that's a colorful way of opening up into an article that's really focused on on the idea of occultism in the era that this was written in the 60s and 70s and early 80s. So when I first started getting into occultism, 
it was because I didn't accept the idea uh, of a theistic worldview that my parents were sort of instructing me into. And I wanted to find that ancient wisdom of our ancestors. Um, and, and that's really the core of what occultism is, in my opinion, is that it, it's that search for um, ancient secrets and wisdoms uh, shared by by ancestors, and um, that often leads you to this idea that there is magic, and it quite often leads you also into that same realm of theistic worldview, that, that there is this greater power. And most of the, air quotes here, occult, is focused on either connecting at some level with that source of power um, and uh, in their own way tapping into that power and using it for their own ends. Uh, this is <laughs> this is what initially excited me about the idea is that, wow, there are these ancient understandings and practices that can grant you authority over others. And what was ironic about that is that the time that it took me to go through some various expected occult avenues, I found all of the answers in the Satanic Bible and, in turn, within myself. And, and what's great about this is this article is speaking to the, that, that ridiculous aspect of uh, occultism in, in looking out to, to this, this idea that there is some sort of specific mannerism of action and behavior that's going to give you power or, or clarity or something. And, and it's just the ridiculousness of it is that the more people that are doing this ancient secret, <laughs> the very non-secretive it is. And the authority or power that it once held for you when you first started doing it is gone. It's lost. Uh, it's it's really funny. Anton LaVey actually has a really great way of closing down this article, which actually isn't really all that long, but it's certainly worth a read. And w what I loved about this article is that it, it speaks to that experience that I came through. Now, he, he says straight up, and this is something that's been echoed by the hierarchy of the Church of Satan, that Satanism is not a cult. That's the way I found it, through looking at different occult things. Um, oftentimes, you're going to either find the Satanic Bible in the occult section or the spiritual New Age section, which is unfortunate. But still, you know, th that's how I came to it. And by coming to it, I realized that th there is nothing out there except for the, the understanding and awareness of your own power and authority <laughs> and the, the employment of it. I mean, you can go into the occult with your eyes open, realizing its folly and its ridiculousness and sort of adapting it in a very satanic way. Um, a lot of Satanism is, is based around that idea. But uh, if, you're, <laughs> if you're expecting some ancient secrets of, uh, let's say, Cthulhu nature or even uh, theistic devil nature, well... You keep looking because you'll be looking for the rest of your life. And quite frankly, I don't want you to stop where I stopped here in Satanism because uh, you're not welcome. <laughs> anyway, uh, The Devil's Notebook, 
check out the article. It's well worth it. Let's move on into, and you can see I'm sort of trying to rush through this because I'm already halfway through the show and I'm not halfway through the show yet. Um, let's uh, move on over to the Infernal Informant. All right, I have to start with this one because it was so absurd. This is ABC News. Miami cop kills naked man eating another man. Uh, and they actually picked it up from the Associated Press, Miami, May 27th, 2012. A Miami police officer on Saturday fatally shot a naked man who was chewing on the face of another man on a downtown causeway off-ramp, police and witnesses said. The Miami Herald reports that gunshots were heard at about 2 a.m. on the MacArthur Causeway off-ramp, which is near the newspaper's offices. Witnesses said that a woman saw two men fighting and flagged down a police officer who came upon a naked man mauling the other man. The newspaper quoted witnesses as saying that the officer ordered the naked man to back away, and when he ignored the demand, the officer shot him. Witnesses said that the naked man continued his attack after being shot once, and the officer shot him several more times. <laughs> that is... Dude, guy, that guy had to be hungry. <laughs> Police said the other man was transported to Jackson Memorial Hospital Rider Trauma Center. The newspaper said he had suffered critical injuries. The police department confirmed in a news release that there was an officer-related shooting, but did not include many details provided by witnesses to the newspaper. A police spokesman couldn't be reached for comment by the Associated Press on Saturday evening. The police news release said the identities of the two men were not known. A photograph posted on the Herald's website shows an officer standing watch on to the ramp next to the two police cruisers with a body lying in a pedestrian walkway. Police requested the newspaper's video surveillance tapes. The shootings and investigation tied up causeway traffic as crowds were arriving at South Beach for an annual hip-hop festival. Javier Ortiz, a spokesman for the Fraternal Order of Police in Miami, said that based on the information he's received, the officer who fired the shots is a hero and saved a life. He's a hero, people! Because he shot a hungry man feeding on another man's face. <laughs> I wanted to bring this up because not only of its absurd nature, which it is very, very crazy. I mean, this is uh, this is Hannibal Lecter type shit. Well, okay, no, Hannibal Lecter would have had more class. He would have lured the man back to his uh, flat before mauling him. But still, and there's actually a YouTube video of, of portions of this, so <laughs> check out that if, if, you can, if you can find it, which I'm sure you'll be able to. By Tuesday morning, this is going to be all over everywhere. But, uh, yeah, okay, so, so these two people <laughs> are naked, and one is literally eating the face of off of the other man. So let's think of possible scenarios which would which would cause this mauling. Um, okay, so they meet up for some irresponsible gay sex, and the guy looks at the other guy and immediately is becomes ravenous. They start making out, doing whatever they're going to do. And I don't know about anyone else, but there's this moment during uh, a connection, a uh, we'll say, during uh, passionate sex, where I think maybe it's only a certain type of person, 
like myself, <laughs> who wants to sink his teeth into the... they. You want to experience it so much that you want to just consume a part of it. Now, I stop at that notion <laughs> or play a little bit further in a responsible way with an uh, accepting partner. But... Uh, Maybe this guy didn't have that switch, and he just had to take a piece of it with him. Could you imagine the horror of that police officer as he came upon the scene of a naked man hovering over and physically assaulting with his mouth another man's screaming, writhing face? Telling the guy, "You can stop, stop, get off this other man, get off him now." He doesn't do it, so you shoot the guy. He doesn't stop. He keeps eating the other person. And all you're hearing in your head is the tearing of flesh, flesh of flesh, blood dripping from this guy's crimson teeth, and the screams of the victim. It's like pure horror. I was afraid that we lived in a world where shit like this didn't happen anymore. And, I, you know, it's got to suck for the guy who was being eaten. But I feel a little bit better about... I, I, don't, I don't think I should, necessarily. I don't know why I do. But I actually feel better that I live in a world where this still happens from time to time. I mean, throwing acid on a little girl's face who wants to go to school is horrific. Uh, this... This is exciting. I don't know why. Maybe it's just some callback to some primal aspect of, of hunt and hunted and, and, and master and, and beast. But for some reason, this is an exciting story. And I'm sure the people involved are disgusting and it's just going to be revolting once all of the details come out. But for this vague, vague news article, I add my own flavor to it. And... Uh, I'm going to steal a little bit from McDonald's here and say I'm loving it. <laughs> All right, so the next one is a little more serious, less uh, fantasy-oriented here. <laughs> that is kind of embarrassing that that's like a fantasy of mine. Like like in the middle of sex, I'm just like, I want to sink my teeth into this woman, and I don't care if it's her neck or if it's her breast or if it's her thigh or if it's anything else, and if she's okay with it. and like, And how do you even bring that up? You're, like, kissing her neck and tonguing her ear and other things. And you're like, baby, hey, sweetie, can I chew on you a little bit? You know, and she may think you're just playing a little bit until you do. And then she's like, what the fuck? Get the... You know, you have to really kind of go into this whole thing with a conversation beforehand. You you can't just, like, in the moment just jump on them. (laughs) Because you could get shot. And you don't even realize it because you're caught in the heat of passion and they shoot you a couple more times. Um, Okay, wait. Anyway, San Francisco Chronicle is the uh, next article here. Female soldier sues U.S. challenging restrictions on combat. Tom Schoenberg, David Lerman, and Sarah Fondren, Forden, (laughs) whatever. Uh, Bloomberg News, Wednesday, May 23rd. So, two female soldiers asked a federal judge to throw out the U.S. military's restriction on women in combat, claiming the police vi- oh, I'm sorry, the policy violates their constitutional rights. Why does every... At what... Okay, I, I understand as Americans we are intimately tied to the Constitution. But at what point do we just stop and say, we don't have to... 
base everything on this ancient document? Why can't common sense dictate laws and, and, and policy? Why do we have to constantly call back to this? And it's shitty because that's what our entire basis of a country revolves around. It's, it's so frustrating. If it's not in the Constitution, then you can't do it. Or, if it's in the Constitution, it's my right. Well, I think both of those ideas should just be thrown out. There's no reason for it. We are free human beings. Allow us to be free. Let the areas we live in really, you know, run policy as it comes up. But there, I mean, there's like ridiculous laws in the books that have nothing to do with nothing. That are just there. Because they've always been there. Let's clean house, people. All right, so U.S. Army Reservists Jane Baldwin and Ellen Haring in a lawsuit filed today in Washington said policies excluding them from assignments, quote, solely because they are women, end quote, violate their right to equal protection guaranteed by the Constitution's Fifth Amendment. And I guess the clause they're referencing here is the um, lack of protection, <laughs> the equal protection guarantees. <laughs> I want my equal protections of unprotectiveness in combat. Shoot me in the face. I deserve it. I mean, that's pretty much what they're asking for. Let me go into combat and get killed. I want to be killed. Um, well, where's that naked guy? Let's just send him over. <laughs> Have him chew on their face a little bit. The complaint names Defense Secretary Leon Panetta and Army Secretary John McHugh's defendants. This is ridiculous. Okay, so the limitation on plaintiffs' careers restricts their current and future earnings, their potential for promotion and advancement, and their future retirement benefits, the woman said in the complaint filed by Christopher Sipes of Covington and Burlington LLP in Washington. Uh, I'm going to say that's bullshit. Uh, One of my first first sergeants when I did my tour in Germany with a military police company was a woman. She was tough as nails. I have great respect for her to this day. She was respected by everyone, and she advanced just like more than her peers. And there were a lot of other women in that military police company that advanced faster than men. And you could argue they used their uh, lesser magic uh, feminine wiles to get it, but uh, the point is that it didn't matter that they couldn't see face-to-face combat. They could still run support missions, and in those support missions, if you become under fire, you still have combat. So, uh, I think arguments like this are ridiculous. They waste taxpayers' money. They waste government time. They waste their time in getting into units that do see combat in a non-combat-oriented way. Uh, I know that doesn't really make sense when I say it, but, I mean, you could be a support personnel. You could be a cook and come under a combat situation. So, I mean, we just have to realize that just because they're not being put into, you know, um, let's say the Rangers, doesn't mean that they're not going to see combat or that they're not going to be able to advance because that's bullshit. And that's what they're saying here. The Pentagon in February announced a change in policy that opened more than 14,000 additional positions to women across the armed forces, most of them in the Army. Still, it stopped short of allowing women to serve in so-called ground combat assignments, including special forces and long-range reconnaissance operations. George Little, a Pentagon spokesman, declined to comment on the lawsuit. He said in an email that Panetta is strongly commenting... I'm sorry, committed to examining the expansion of roles for women in the U.S. military, as evidenced by the recent step 
of opening up thousands of more assignments to women. Uh, I thought G.I. Jane would have, uh, you know, alleviated any concerns. <laughs> didn't, didn't a shaved head to me more make everyone want a woman in the Rangers regiments? <laughs> I mean, really? Uh, I wanted her there. I, I wasn't even in there and I wanted her in there. So women on duty. Women make up about 14.5% of active duty military personnel, according to Pentagon figures. And the Army is continuing to review whether infantry positions should be open to women in the future. It's also considering whether to let female soldiers attend its elite ranger school. Women increasingly have been exposed to combat as traditional front lines of battle have become blurred and worse, such as those in Iraq and Afghanistan. Army spokesman George Wright said women assigned to those arenas have served with distinction and honor in combat since the beginning of hostility more than a decade ago. Earning awards such as the Combat Action Badge, Silver Star, Distinguished Flying Cross, and Purple Heart, Wright declined to comment on the lawsuit. At least 144 female troops have been killed in Iraq and Afghanistan wars, and more than 860 have been wounded, according to the Pentagon. About 280,000 women have served in Iraq and Afghanistan since the wars began. Um, And and here's another thing we have to realize. This is all based on this archaic idea that women are not capable of dealing with stressful situations because they're these frail, fragile creatures. I truly believe that men who wrote these policies have never actually met a woman. (laughs) There's nothing frail and fragile about a woman who is being (laughs) aggressed. You know what I mean? I mean, if you are in a unit and you are taught to, to react in this specific manner when this specific occurrence comes, you're no longer a man. You're no longer a woman. You're a soldier. That's what the training teaches you to do. And by saying that women are incapable of of training or or of, of stepping up in those roles, what we're saying is that women are incapable of actually uh, being taught how to act or, or they're incapable of, of instruction or something. And that is so far from the reality of the situation. Uh, I, I know a lot of women who would not be suited for combat. Let's be fair. But equally, I know the majority of men I know would not be up for combat. They, they could not handle the stresses. So we need to get over this idea that just because your sex is X, that you will act Y. Because that's not the case. Um, females should absolutely be given an opportunity based on merit, not affirmative action. So, so that's sort of the thing. If they can prove that they are capable of meeting the standards that exist, then allow them to serve. And you know what? In some cases, die. Because that's what they want. And why would you stand in the way of someone who's willing to fight for your cause and if push comes to shove, lay down their life for that cause? Uh, it just doesn't make sense. Linear Battlefield. This is the end of the article. The linear battlefield no longer exists, the women said in the complaint, described as arbitrary and irrational, the combat restrictions for women. Women are currently engaged in direct combat, even when it's not part of their formally assigned roles, the reservists said. Furthermore, the army has deliberately circumvented its own policies by attaching women to ground combat units. There's no practical difference in terms of the work that service women do uh, between assigning women to ground combat unit and a attaching women to a ground combat unit, the women said the complaint. More than 200 women reported to brigade combat teams as of last week as the Army begins opening up more than 13,000 positions to women that previously were restricted to men, General Raymond 
Odierno, the Army Chief of Staff, said at May 16th Pentagon News Conference. The case is Baldwin v. Panetta, 12-00832, U.S. District Court, District of Columbia, Washington. That's the end of the article. And, and that's this is what I'm speaking to here. We don't need a lawsuit for this. This is common sense. We don't need to fall back on these archaic ideas of the Constitution of the United States of America to justify someone who is capable of serving in a role. It's common sense. Why do you have to justify it? Just let them serve. It's crazy. It's this weird Christian ideal, and let's be fair, it's an Islamic Judeo-Christian ideal, that women are fragile and they need to be protected and they are subdominant to men. And, I mean, let's be honest, There's men. there are men who are subdominant to women as much as there are women who are subdominant to men. Sex has no basis um, here, so we have to be able to get past this. It's just like with, with homosexual marriage. You don't need to cite a, 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 an amendment to the Constitution to justify it. It just makes sense. Let them do it. It's crazy. I mean, if if we're going to let naked men eat each other's faces in the streets, I'm going to be thinking about that for, like, months. It's so crazy. Okay, well, that, that's the article. Yes, I think women should absolutely have uh, the opportunity to serve in capable roles. And let me say that again. In, in roles that they are capable of performing. Just like men. Because I'll tell you what, a lot of men go through that range of combat and not all of them meet those qualifications. So it's not like just because you're men, you can do it. It's not the case. Not all men are created equal. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's go ahead and take a short break. We're going to hear about the uh, Los Escritores Satanicus. And then we're going to jump into the creature feature, and that's going to wrap up the show. So uh, stick around, guys. We're almost through this, huh? Or uh, not just guys, women too. You can listen to the show. I know you do, and I love you for it. Mm. If I could. No, that was very condescending. Thank you so much for listening. And if you continue to listen, I truly appreciate it. All right, uh, here's our break. My name is Kevin I. Slaughter of Underworld Amusements. On Walpurgisnacht five years ago, I announced the release of The Satanic Scriptures by Peter H. Gilmore, a book I'm sure RFS listeners are familiar with. I'm announcing today Las Escritoras Satanicas, the Spanish-language edition of that same book. You may know the English version came out in a signed and numbered slipcase and a dust-jacketed hardback edition before the paperback was released. The numbered slipcase edition was sold out within a day of the announcement, and if you weren't able to get one, you may also know that they now both sell for hundreds of dollars on the secondary market. I'm using Kickstarter to allow for pre-orders, and will limit the numbered edition to however many people want to order one between Walpurgisnacht and June 9th. If you'd like a hardback or paperback, those will be available as well. Go to lasescritorissatanicus.com or find the book on Facebook or Twitter for more information. Oh, God! No. Just me. Know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over seven minutes. We got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming? 
to Creature Feature. I feel like I gotta change up those intros. I, I, I've been, I've been telling myself that I'm gonna run them for the full year, and then each new year I will come up with new intros, new music, you know, a, a new sort of feel. I mean, the feel of the show is always gonna be the same, or that's my goal anyway. But like, I'm always like Creature Feature, <laughs> or. Welcome to the Devil's Advocate. You know, it's always like, if you want to be dark and evil, you have to drop your voice as much as possible. <laughs> and, like, like I'm trying to be dark and evil in these fucking little uh, setups here. Um, anyway, you know, I, I'm thinking. You know, let me know if you guys think I should keep it for a year. I don't know. Maybe I'll try to switch it up every six months if I can have the creative capacity of doing it. Maybe I'll call on a woman to do it. All right, so uh, the Ricky Gervais Show. This is actually on HBO, and I, I was introduced to the Ricky Gervais show because I, I saw him, uh, I saw YouTube clips of his stand-up, and I saw YouTube clips of him hosting, I think it was like the Golden Globes or something like that, uh, irreverent humor, and I am a huge fan. I, I do not think anyone would be capable of really getting on par with um, George Carlin, in my mind, I think he is by far my favorite comedian, and you know, forever he will be. Uh, but Ricky Gervais, he's he's in my top five, and and it's because of his his desire to be irreverent. Now, I think this also comes at a fault because what what I think you find a lot with uh, comedians who want to sort of be on that edge of what's okay and what's not okay and still be in the mainstream, is that they they tend to go for shock value with subjects, and I think Ricky Gervais does that um, a lot. <laughs> I mean, really, a lot. I mean, when you start bringing up AIDS babies, you're not doing that because there's a true punchline there. You're doing it so that you can just seem edgy. And I think he does that a little bit. But he had this podcast... Um, where it was Ricky Gervais, the writer-comedian Stephen Merchant, and his, Ricky Gervais's young friend, um, I guess uh, childhood friend or something, Carl Pilkington. And it was based around um, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant really asking questions and talking to Carl Pilkington about Carl's sort of outlandish, excuse me, outlandish ideas and notions because Carl was never a graduate, uh, he was so it, it's a lot of ignorant and misinformed ideas and notions that he comes comes to, and it's funny because you know he Carl Pilkington doesn't vet information that he uses as fact in his answers or in his replies or in his diatribes. Uh, he he will reference just random freak just bullshit um, as fact because he had read it. So, you know, he's one of those people that if it's been typed, if it's been written, if it's been sent out on the internet, then it must be true. You know, he's one of those people. So you often hear these <laughs> outlandish ideas that are really fantastic. So anyway, um, they they started this as a podcast and it, it went on for a little while and then HBO picked it up and animated it. Uh, very Flintstone-esque. So they animated them sitting around a table talking about uh, whatever random ridiculous concept, 
but also they elaborate on the stories, and so there's a little animation of the stories and stuff in that same animation style. It's very funny. It is irreverent, but it it's it's like stupid humor. It's it's humor you don't have to think about. You don't have to like it, it's not. <laughs> You don't have to be up on the latest anything to understand it or, or to get into it. Uh, it's not Dennis Miller we're talking about here. Y- you can truly be a moron and truly appreciate this show. And uh, it's on HBO, so that means it's not filtered. And <laughs> I appreciate that. I like uh, I like some naughty words <laughs> in my comedy. I think it's a must. <laughs> okay, so anyway... Uh, check it out. I believe it's on Friday nights, and I think we're on the third season now, or something like that. But it's 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 very good. It's worth a watch. The Ricky Gervais Show. All right, guys, and that's gonna be it for another nine cents. Yeah, I'm actually I believe I'm actually under my time here, so I, I flew through those articles. Not a lot of ranting, you know. I mean, some days I'm just gonna go off on the littlest thing, like a kid dying and having his like baseball or football trophy like put in his coffin with him and like (laughs) I did one episode I I went off like batshit crazy on that for some reason and then other days I just you know really truly appreciate one naked man eating the face off of another naked man (laughs) so sometimes I wonder if I'm going to be doing this show anymore because (laughs) I don't know that there's an audience for shit like this but thank you for listening very much. I hope you enjoyed it, and I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. Uh, I do have some very exciting guests lined up here in the near future, so stay tuned for that. Next week and the week after should be really exciting. Uh, you can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. You can also subscribe via iTunes by searching 9 cents, and don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit RadioFreeSatan.com, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan!